one, but not another, even though both believe in him. All right, pretty straightforward, right? Why do some people believe in, or why do some prayers get answered and others don't? As I mentioned last week, we who claim to have a relationship with Jesus and follow him understand that he has promises he gives us. We sang songs this morning about how God is good. He never lets us down. We sang about a way in the manger and how God sent his son to Bethlehem. It's a fulfillment of certain promises. We live our lives in a certain hope that what God said he would do will happen. All right? That's, that's the foundation of what we believe. If we didn't believe that, then we're missing a big part of what we're doing here. We're just here for the fun of it, and that's not no good reason to be here at all. So that certain hope that we have is a defining trait of what makes us followers of Christ. If we don't have that, we're missing something. But as I also said last week, that we live in an in-between time, don't we? We live in the time where God has fulfilled his promise of sending his son in the time where he has promised that he will come back. And in between that time, where we're sitting here this morning and going about our daily lives during the week, is a hard, hard time to live. It's a hard time because it's a time required to wait. It's required to live in the expectation of hope, but not seeing the promise fulfilled yet. So it's a hard, hard time to live in sometimes. This is especially true when it comes to prayer. Especially true. Because we have certain promises that I'm about to read right here, but we, sometimes it still challenges us that when we don't get the answers that we think we should get, we don't get anything back at all, it feels, that we start to question why. Why are these things happening? If you're true and you're faithful and you're certain, God, then why do I not hear you? That's why this is important to delve into, because when prayers go up and nothing comes down, doubt and discouragement can creep in, can it? It can be really easy to start doubting your faith. Questions like this can nag at you, but that's not a bad thing, all right? Questions are not a bad thing. This is why we're going, part of the reason we're going through this series is that questions of faith are a good thing. I've said over and over again that faith, this faith that we participate in, is not a blind leap. It is not a, a leap into the imaginary world, as many think it is. It's a thought-out faith. It's a faith of questions and answers, and that we know that we have certain truths that we can hold on to and point to in the Word, and that we know that we're good because He said we are, right? We know we can look at those. So when the questions come up, it requires digging and a deepening in our faith, not a running away. So the same happens with prayers. We need to dive in deeper, ask God for his wisdom, and let go of some of our own. And that is when we find the waiting to be a little easier. That's when we find the doubt and discouragement to start to ease just a little bit as we press in to those questions. So let's dig a little deeper this morning as we answer this question. So why does God answer the prayers of one and not another, even though both believe in him? So let's answer that this morning. First, we need to state that God does hear, right? Because that's going to be the first thing we need to cover. Does God hear your prayers? Yes. All right? God hears the prayers of those who are in a right relationship with him. Psalm 65, 2 says, O you who hear prayer, meaning God hears. All right? Proverbs 15, 29 said, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. That means someone who's in a right relationship with him. So if you ever wonder, wow, I don't know if he's hearing me. If you're in a right relationship with him, then he's hearing you. There's no doubt. The Bible is perfectly clear about that. In Romans 8, it says God will answer our prayers. Romans 8, 31 and 32, Paul says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? All right? Verse 32, 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Those are promises that we have. So whenever you're doubting, with that, wow, I don't know. Go back to the promises that we have, that God hears us. He hears us, who are in a right relationship with him. Now, we have to follow up that question up with another question. If God's promises are sure, then why don't we always get what we ask for? Everybody thought about that? Has everybody ever had that question in your mind? Why, why don't I always get, if, I, if I'm following faithfully, why don't I always get what I'm asking for? Let's press into that. Let's look at Matthew's chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 to find that answer. And I think I have this one up on the screen as if it cooperates with me. Matthew 7, 7 and 11 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? When we enter into relationship with Jesus, right? Let's let's wrap our heads around this. When we enter in that relationship, because it is a relationship, it's not just a a one-time decision, it's not just a fire insurance, it's not just a baptism, it's this relationship we enter into. It is a conversation, a part of our lives that integrates into every fabric of who we are. When we're in that relationship, right, we are adopted into God's family. That's the analogy that's given over and over and over again, that in Christ, we are now children of the King, right? That's us. We're in that relationship. We have that standard. We have that confidence in who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. So whenever we're praying, our conversations should sound like talking to a father. Now, I know that some of us, myself included, might not have had a dad around, or the dad that we had might not have cared a whole lot, right? So some, this analogy can sometimes wear a little thin because it looks our, our paternal fathers may not have been the best, right? So we had to work within what we know, but... Uh, the, the Bible constantly says that God is our heavenly Father, so we have to think of Him as the perfect Father, right? The Father we always wanted. And so when we're praying to God, our conversations are like a son or a daughter talking to their Father, the Father that cares, right? And so conversations or prayers should be something like this. Thank you, Dad, for helping me pay the bills this month, right? That might be something you've actually told your dad. I don't know, but <laughs> if we can tell our heavenly Father that, right? Another thing we might say is, I love you, Dad. Now, I don't know, I, I never grew up saying I love you to my dad very much. He wasn't around a whole lot, but that's one thing we can say to our Heavenly Father. One of the other things we can say is, hey, Dad, I really, really need your help. All right? Anybody asked a real dad for help before? Had to just come out and say it? Maybe not wanted to, but you're like, well, man, Dad. Especially if you're young. I remember when I was young and married, I asked my in-law dad for, like, everything. I'm like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help over and over and over again, right? And he was there. He was there, and so is God. When we enter into our prayers, our conversations are with our heavenly dad, all right? So, now, if you remember when you were a child, everybody get back in the Wayback Machines. I try to do this every week. Let's work our minds and not just listen to me talk. Work our minds here this morning. Go back in the Wayback Machine in your brain and think about when you were a child, all right? I'm sure you're all perfect little angels, just like you're sitting this morning. I'm sure you all sat and did exactly what you're told, right? No, maybe not. All right. So, (laughs) think about when you were a child. Now, if you are having a bad day, 
if you had a bad attitude, right? Maybe you just were just had an awful, no good, terrible, bad day, and you just got this bad attitude going on, and you just, you, you just nothing's going right, and you weren't doing what you're supposed to do. What would have happened if you'd have went and asked your dad or your mom for something in that moment? Would they have said, "Oh, sure," or they said, "No, I don't think so." Which one? Yes or no? Well, they said, yeah, you'll get it, or no, you're not going to get it. No. Thank you, Don. Everybody else, no. Hopefully, no. Hopefully, no. Because, right, right? Because if you have a bad attitude, <laughs> you're not going to get what you want most of the time. You, know? you don't blow up at your parents before you, if you need something from them, because odds are you're not going to get it, right? If you have kids of your own, I go through this all the time. If my kids are having a, having a terrible day, they got a bad attitude with me, you better not come asking me anything, because odds of you getting something are going way, way down, right? I'm not going to give you something if you're popping off at me, right? And there's a reason for that, isn't there? And the reason you won't get it isn't because your dad or your mom is mean. That's why. That's not why you didn't get it if you had a bad attitude. It's because if we're not in the right, if we're being disobedient, if we give a child something or if we receive something from our parents, it reinforces that bad behavior, doesn't it? It says, okay, you're good. I know you're not having a good day. I know you're having a bad attitude. It's fine if you yell at me. Let me give you something anyway. That didn't help, right? That only reinforces that negative behavior. And so whenever we didn't get something from our parents, whenever we were acting up, it doesn't make it a bad thing, right? It's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, not only is it not good for them, it's not good for the parent giving it, is it? So sometimes if you're someone with a bad attitude, you have a child come up to you and ask you for something if they're having a bad day and they're really not obeying you this morning, whatever, this morning or any day during the week, and they come up and ask you for something and you give it to them, not only does it help reinforce their bad behavior, but it makes you look, it reflects poorly on you too, doesn't it? Eventually. Let me give you this example, right? Think about if you, uh, if, example, if I have one of my kids come up, right, and they ask me for a ball, Baseball, football, I don't care what it is, any kind of ball. It could be any ball you want it to be. And they ask for a ball, and even though they haven't been doing what I've asked them to do all day, I give them the ball, right? Then they run off, and they're happy because they got what they wanted. And then they're still not obeying, right? They're still doing what they want to do, and so they go and break a window. Now, who is that? Whose fault is that? Is it the child's fault that they broke the window, or is it my fault for giving them the ball in the first place? It's both, right? The child's responsible, sure, but it's my, I should have known better than to give the child the ball, right? Hopefully. Hopefully, if I'm a good parent and I know that they're not obeying, I shouldn't give them something that could endanger others or themselves <laughs> because if they're not listening and obeying without something, they're not going to get any better by getting what they want, right? They're not. That's not how it works with parents and children. We're both to blame, Right? And it reflects poorly on me because if I have to go to the person that the window's broken or if I have to look at my wife and explain why the window's broken out, it comes back to me because I'm the one who gave it to him, right? So not only does the kid look bad, I look dumb for giving it to him, right? I do. That's how it works sometimes. If a child has a bad attitude and misbehaves, a good father or mother will not give them everything they ask for. They won't. I hope they won't. Accordingly, the Bible teaches that in order for our prayers to be answered, we have to be doing the right stuff. We have to be living out what he asks us to live out. He's not going to give us things, anything, without us being and doing what he's required of us. Because that'd be irresponsible. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. The promise is there. 
built on the qualification, right, that you have to be in Jesus. The words, his words have to abide in you, right? One of my daughter, I think it was my daughter, I think it was Eliana, when she was smaller, about a year or two ago, she would always say, I don't, I think it was her, I may be misremembering. She would always say, I don't have to listen to your words. I want to listen to my words, right? <laughs> right? Meaning, I don't want to do what you say. I want to do what I want. But she phrased it differently, right? Which is appropriate for this verse because that's what God says, right? If, you're, if my words abide in you, if you've let that relationship seep into your heart and live inside of you, live inside of you, it's going to live out of you, right? He says, if my words abide in you, son or daughter, then ask and I'll do it. If, the qualifier. Now, you know a child is listening to you when you see them do what they're told, right? It's one thing for a child to sit there and listen to you, and then they go off and do whatever they were going to do to begin with. You know they weren't listening to you, right? They're just appeasing you. My kids have done that. They'll sit there and I'm like, okay, and they're waiting for me to hush. And when I finally close my mouth, they'll go off, and they'll do the, do the exact same thing that I told them not to do to begin with, right? But I know they've listened whenever they begin to do something that I've told them to do. Sorry for the projector. God knows if we're listening, and he knows if we're taking his words to heart. It's in those moments when we open ourselves up to the gifts that our good Father has in store for us, when we do what he asks us to do, all right? Now, if it seems like we pray and we pray and we never receive what we ask for, the first step we have to do is check our actions is to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to do, make sure that we're in that right relationship. And what we do with, uh, in our relationship with God and with others will reflect that. I know, I can tell who's genuinely trying to follow Jesus and who's, who's really not, who's playing a game. And it's not because of the words they say, because people, words can fool you. People can say all sorts of stuff. It's how you live your life. It's as simple as that. Now, I had to be perfect, but are you trying? God knows if you're trying or not. I love what well, the Apostle Peter says, that we have to be in this right relationship with, with not just God, but with others too, right? He says it like this. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, surely the word directed to the husband applies to the, to the wife as well, or to either, either partners, both, both reflects on both. If you're not considerate of one another, is what Peter is saying, if you're not forgiving and kind and respectful even in your home, then your prayers are going to be hindered, not only in the answering, but in the going up, right? Both. You're not going to want to, talk, you're not going to, want to pray because you're going to be having arguments and disagreements with your wife and kids, and God's not going to want to answer you because you're not going to be having his word abiding in you, right? Our, reflection, our actions reflect if we're listening and if we're doing what God asks us to do. So we have to check our whole lives, not just our spiritual life, but everything about us. Everything. If we truly want to answer answers to our prayers, we need to be constantly asking God if there's something hindering us, if there's something in the way between us and Him. And if He reveals it, we need to ask forgiveness to Him and to the person. All right? Not just to God. And say, I'm sorry, Lord, I, I really messed up. I 
you know, flipped off my coworker that day, or we got in a, a spat, or I went home and I took my anger out on my kids, or yelled at my wife, or whatever the case is. And we think about those things. Not only do we have to ask God for forgiveness, but we need to ask them for forgiveness, right? God says your prayers will be hindered if you don't. Not only will you not want to lift them up, but God will not want to answer them because he doesn't want, because you're not abiding in his will at that point. His words are not in you. So, just so there's misun- no misunderstanding, though, because I think that can be kind of confusing, God isn't demanding perfection. God doesn't say, all right, you go clean yourself up. You, know, you go get yourself straight. You make sure that everything that you've done wrong this week, you've, you've done everything you possibly do to make yourself right, and then you come to me, and then I'll answer. That's, that's not what he's striving for. The word here is that he requires us to recognize our failings and to honestly ask his help to work on them. That's it. To be in a humble position to say, Lord, I know I messed up this week. I know I did something I wasn't supposed to. I know I said the words to that person that I really shouldn't have said. I'm sorry. Help me. Help me do better. That's what he's asking. He doesn't require perfection, but humility and reliance on him. Now, we got that down, wherever that first hurdle. If you've already said that, you said, well, I know, Pastor, that I'm doing okay, I think. I mean, I've I've looked and I've asked God to help me see what's going on with me and I, and I don't feel like there's anything standing in my way and, but I'm still not getting the answers I need, right? Something's still not happening. I just, I pray and pray and pray and nothing comes down. The analogy that Jesus gives in Matthew 7 and verse 9, which I think I, I put it in its own slide, verses 9 through 11, yeah, helps us here too. Because Jesus says this, Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, gives him a stone, or asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now that's an amazing and helpful, I think, analogy that draws us into thinking about how we treat our children and how God treats us. All right, If we've checked ourselves, we need to go here next. What's striking here is that God promises to give good things to his children, but not necessarily what they ask for. Did you catch it? Did you catch it in verses 9 through 11 there? That he promises to give good things. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Not necessarily what you ask for, but a good thing nonetheless. Now, since he's comparing himself to our own parenting, we know what that means, right? As parents, or again, thinking back to when you were a child and your mom or dad were around, we don't give our children, especially when they're two or three years old, right, everything they ask for. At least I hope we don't, right? Because they can come with some crazy stuff that they want, right? I want a pony. Well, at two, you probably don't need a pony, right? Or three, whatever the case is. They can come up with some crazy stuff because they don't know everything that's good for them yet. They'll learn, but they don't know everything that's good for them yet. And a good parent won't give them everything. Now, I was thinking back on this this week, and I remembered a Christmas. This time of year is a great time to reflect on what parents give children, right? So I remember a Christmas when my oldest boys were very young. I think Jaden was seven, and my Jude was second child. He was six, I think. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's about how old they were. Now, they were getting old enough to know right from wrong, and they were getting old enough to start exploring. And they love to go out in the yard, and they love to climb trees, and they love to run around, and they love to, to get into a bunch of stuff. They're being boys, which is great. They love to explore and to, and to, and to create and to destroy. <laughs> they love lots of things. And so I wanted to help them 
All right. I wanted to be able to, to, to be excited with them as they grew up and to give them something that could, that could just help them to, to explore better and to, and to create more and to do all these cool things. So what does every young boy need whenever he's out there exploring? Any ideas? What, is, what, if you, what do you think? What do you think a young boy needs if he's outside exploring? Not a gun, something else. A knife. Thank you, Ms. Dawn. Every young boy needs a knife, don't they? Yes, within reason, all right? So don't go and say, Pastor said you could have a knife today. I didn't say that, all right? But every young boy needs a knife, especially when they're out there exploring. You can whittle things. You can, you know, you can defend yourself. You can, you can do all sorts of awesome things with a knife. And so I had this great idea. Oh, man, it was great. Jaden 7, Jude 6, they're out there exploring. They're climbing, climbing trees. They need a knife. They got to have one. So Christmas is coming, and so I thought in my head, wow, what an awesome dad I'm going to be because I'm going to give them the best Christmas gift they can get. So I got them not just a knife, not just a pocket knife, not, a, not even a little thing, you know, one of those little tiny little knives. I got them a brand spanking new Swiss Army knife. I mean, legit Swiss Army knife, not a knockoff, like a legit, like with the little markings and everything, right? Had everything in it. Had the toothpick, had the whole deal, right? And these things were sharp. Not only they look sharp, but they were really sharp, all right? They were really sharp, and they came out of the package. So I, I was, got them before Christmas and test them out. I was so excited. I was thinking, oh, man, how awesome is their little faces going to light up when they see this bright, shiny Swiss Army knife, and they're going to be able to go out, and they're going to be able to, to make things, and they're going to be able to, to, I don't know what they're going to be. They're going to be doing lots of cool things, right? And so I was super excited. Wrapped it up, put it under the tree. Christmas comes. They unwrap it. It's great. They love it. They're like, oh, look at that shiny knife. And they're super excited about the knife. And I'm super excited for them. And everything's going good. And so I, like every good parent does, I sit down with them and said, okay, let me make sure I warn you. You're not going to stab anybody, right? This is not for stabbing each other. This is for going out and, and exploring and using it and doing all this fun stuff. Make sure you don't point it at anybody or anything like that. I give them the general safety rules, right? Everything was great. Christmas morning was, dad did good, all right? Dad did great for a minute. <clears throat> and then it didn't take long. It may have even been that day. I can't recall as I was thinking through it this week. But soon, it didn't take long before one of the boys did what? What do you think they did? See, I was a young parent. <laughs> That's my only excuse. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not a good enough one or not, but they did. They cut themselves. I'm pretty sure it was that day. I'm pretty sure it was just a few hours after they had gotten the, the knives, and they were testing them out because they were super cool. And they, we just walked out of the room for a minute, and sure enough, one of them is stabbed. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a stab. It was a slice, but they're sliced themselves, and they're bleeding all over the place. I mean, blood's on the couch, blood's on the floor, blood's everywhere. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. What did I do? I gave them the knife. I gave them the knife. Now, maybe they could have handled it. Maybe they didn't. We put them up for a little while after that. They got put in a drawer, and it took a few months before we brought them back out again. And they still have them now. But we had to, we had to protect them from that point on because they weren't quite ready for it. I thought they were, and they weren't. But that's a reflection on how God is with us sometimes. Not that he gives us, he's, not, he's smarter than I am. He doesn't give us stuff that we're going to hurt ourselves with, but he's smarter than I am. But he does know that there's some things that we're not ready for. 
as much as we might want them, as much as we desire them, as much as we think these are the best things that we could do, that whatever, whatever we're asking for is going to be used to glorify Him. And that we're doing all the things right that we think we're supposed to. But God still says, no, or He says, not yet. Because He knows in the infinite what we don't know in the finite, right? He knows what's good and what's not for us in the moment. And sometimes what we think is good for us isn't. Or at least not right now. Now, there are other times where if we're not ready for it, he won't give it. But there's some other times that he has something even better in store for us. We ask for something we think we want, we get something even better. My sons didn't know to ask for a knife. And they got an awesome knife because I knew that that would be the best thing. Well, I thought at the time that would be the best thing for them, right? This awesome knife, not a cheap little knife, a good knife. God gives us good things, something, sometimes even things better than what we thought, even if we haven't even thought of it yet. No prayer asked by someone in a right relationship with God goes unanswered. I do want to clarify that. Now, maybe, again, maybe a, maybe a no, it maybe a not yet. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's things that don't look the same as we asked for, but no prayer for in a right relationship goes unanswered. Now, you may be praying for things and you get something else like I just mentioned. You may be praying for a house, right? And you're playing, man, if I had a house, I could do great things for God. I could invite people over. We could have Bible studies in here. It'd be fantastic if we just had a house. Man, if we just had that place. I'm, I get my finances in order. We get it done. God, help me get this done. And instead, God sends you a toolbox, right? And you're like, this is not a house, right? This is a toolbox. Why do I have a toolbox in front of me, God? Why did somebody, why'd you put somebody in my life that brought me this when I need this other thing? And that's because God sees beyond the moment, doesn't he? And there are times when we think we need something immediately when he knows we're not quite ready for it yet. And so he gives us something else in preparation for the thing that we asked for to begin with. Right? We get the toolbox now, and then maybe a little while down the road, we get an opportunity. Somebody comes up and says, hey, I have this place, but it needs a lot of work. Right? And you're thinking, well, I can do the work, and I got the toolbox. Right? I can do the work now. Or maybe you couldn't do it before. God knows things we don't. He provides things for us in ways that we may not expect, but he does come through in time. That's our last point this morning. We discussed last week that we are conditioned to want everything now, right? You want me to hush right now, right? <laughs> so we're conditioned to want things now. But God isn't using an egg timer, right? He's not up there, oh, 30 seconds, we're going to get this done for you. He has the long, 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 long view in mind. God promised Abraham, that he would make nations from him and from his children. And Abraham believed him, even though the only child he had from his wife was one out of one child nations would come but abraham would never see that promise fulfilled other than in the one son those sons would have sons and daughters they would grow into a, a mighty people but they would be enslaved in egypt and they would pray after enslavement for hundreds of years for a deliverance and redemption and 400 years and it never happened until the last generation when god sent moses to deliver his people and came through on his promise to deliver his people. Paul wrote in Galatians that Jesus came that very first Christmas at just the right time. 
Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come. Right? The fullness of time, the karotic time. It's a Greek term meaning in the moment. The moment that it needed to happen, it happened. The fullness of time had come. God had sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In the fullness of time. I don't know why God didn't send Jesus hundreds of years, thousands of years earlier. Why didn't he just save the world right after Adam and Eve screwed up? I don't know. The word says in the fullness of time, God fulfilled his promise. In our limited viewpoint, it sometimes feels like the answers that we seek never come. George Mueller was a great, great author, a great spiritual man who lived in the 1800s, and he's one of the pillars of prayer throughout church history. And he would say that he had prayed for people for 50 and 60 years, constantly prayed for them, and never saw their circumstances change. But yet he still knew that God was faithful whether he saw it happen or not. George understood the, the time aspect of what God has. It's not our time, it's his time. In our limited viewpoint, when the answers never come, there are times when God doesn't say no. He just says not yet, right? And we who are finite are asked to place our trust in the infinite, assured that dad knows best. So what can we do this morning? What can we do out of a hearing all this? What's some action steps we can take? I got three, I think. You got the last slide, Jaden? <clears throat> when do we finally get to it? Boop. Action steps. Here we go. Find peace in the doubting. It's not a bad thing to doubt. Not a bad thing at all. Press deeper, like I mentioned earlier. When we find, how do you define peace in times of doubting? Is by searching God's word and reaffirming your trust in his promises. Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We may know that those closest to us who love us and have our best intentions and interests at heart, and we may know that they care for us, and we may know that all the, everything they do is for our rest, but it's sometimes still good to hear I love you, or see them do something that shows that love to us, right? So it's the same with our Father in heaven. God's promises aren't hidden. They're waiting to be discovered and rediscovered sometimes for us because we'll lose them, right? By those who are ready to seek. Next thing we need to do is keep praying. Not only do we need to press in on our doubt and discouragement and push through that to find our peace, but to do that, we had to keep on praying too. Jesus constantly reminded us, and he constantly prayed during his time on earth and asked us to pray daily. He says, as for your daily needs, as for all these things, lift it up. Keep sending those prayers up. Doing so enables us and opens us up to a whole other world. When we keep things to ourselves and think, oh, I got it. I, I, I can take care of this, God. I don't need your help on that. We're limiting what God can do. Not because he's not powerful enough to do it, because he's not going to force anything on us, right? So we allow ourselves and say, Lord, I can't do this. Or even if I could, show me what's better. Show me what you want and not just what I want. You start to see amazing things happen. Keep pushing. Keep praying. Allow him to work in your life, life and allow him to work through you in the lives of others. And the last thing we have is stay connected. It's so easy whenever we hit these doubts and discouragements and we think, man, I haven't heard an answer to my prayer, and I've lifted up so many, and I, I just don't understand. And what we want to do at that point is the doubt and discouragement causes us to think, well, 
maybe I'll just take a break this week. You know, maybe I just won't pray this week. Maybe I'd, if I just, maybe I just need to do something different. And instead of pressing in and instead of getting closer to others who are, who are having struggles and, and who maybe have gone through some things, we run away from them or we step away from them, we are isolating ourselves spiritually. That hurts. That only hurts you when you do that, but that hurts the body because it stops us from doing what we're called to do, which is gather around each other, right? We can't run away and isolate ourselves. We have to stay connected to each other, especially when it feels like nothing's going right, or our prayers are never getting answered, or the faith isn't working anymore, or I don't have that good, that, uh, that good feeling anymore. Whatever the case is, I don't, I don't think of, maybe I'm being misunderstood, or maybe I just don't understand what I thought I did, and you go through these periods and we run away. Don't run away. Press in. Press in. What I love about this place, one of the many things, is we're not doing church. I never want to do church. I've said this a few times over the past few weeks. It's hit me so hard because I grew up doing church. I'm done doing church. I'm ready to be the church because if we're not going to be it, we might as well just be a social club and get together and eat on Friday nights and hang out and drink a few beers or whatever. I'm not interested in doing that. I'm interested in pressing in together to the things of God. That's what I'm interested in doing. Yes, crazy. Yeah, it's radically countercultural. Yeah, it's not the cool thing to do. Yeah, it's not the thing that people say, oh, I just go on Sundays and I'm good. No, it's not all those things. It's better than that. It's being a family. So stay connected even when you don't want to. It'll pay off for you and for us. Keep pressing. Keep praying. Find that peace in those time of doubt.